I'm Damian Bola. Today on Fifth and Mission, PG&E's high-stakes race to stop causing wildfires. For nearly five years now, the company that has a near monopoly on the power grid in Northern California has been facing an existential question. Can it deliver electricity safely? The answer over and over has been no. As climate change and drought have dried out California, fires sparked by PG&E's power lines have repeatedly taken lives and ruined whole communities. The latest fire the utility is suspected of causing? The Dixie Fire, which has burned nearly a million acres. Now, as my guest, Chronicle reporter J.D. Morris will tell us, PG&E, under a new CEO, is touting big new plans to cut the risk of fires. But it's all going to be expensive, and there's already tension over a side effect of the plans, increased power outages at homes and businesses. J.D. Morris, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. J.D., let's start with this. PG&E told you that its rate of igniting fires is down this year 85%. That sounds like incredible news. What's going on? Well, it is a very high number. Um, That has to do with something that they were originally calling fast trip mitigation. Now they call it their uh, enhanced power line safety settings, I think is their term for it. But essentially, they rolled out these settings on power lines in high fire threat areas where they're now programmed in such a way that they will very quickly turn off power when something collides with an electric line. But that prompted a lot of pushback in places like the Santa Cruz Mountains and some other areas because residents all of a sudden started losing power very frequently, like to what they said was an unacceptable degree. Anna Eshoo got involved, the congresswoman, um, and it, it was pretty controversial recently. PG&E says that they are refining the settings so that it's a more targeted situation so that not as many people are losing power as frequently. But when I went to their San Ramon offices on Tuesday where they were having their weekly meeting with the executives about wildfire safety, they said that, you know, those settings are working and ignitions uh, this year are down 85% compared to the average from, I believe it's 2015 through 2020 in terms of their power line ignition. So, All right. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about mostly trees falling into lines, branches falling into lines, sometimes bad enough to start a fire, but sometimes bad enough just to, to not start a fire? Correct. It's a lot of vegetation hitting power lines. Um, but, you know, the, the criticism that they were getting when they rolled out this fast trip mitigation, enhanced power line safety settings was that it felt like people were losing power when it was just like a squirrel on the on the line or or what have you. So they're they're working on mitigating that. They're all they're putting up like in, in addition to, to making their uh, to to adjusting the settings so that it's more targeted. They're also like putting up animal guards on certain areas where they they've been having a lot of power outages and you know stepping up vegetation management and things like that. All right. It, it reminds me a lot of the preemptive power outage program, right? Where on, you know, warm days, windy days, 
PG&E cuts power, and of course you're not going to have a, a power line fire if all the power is cut, but immediately some of the reaction was, I'm losing too much power, all the stuff in my refrigerator is going bad. This tension is still playing out. Correct, and this is actually kind of interesting because it it's different than the preemptive power outages. So the preemptive fire safety power shutoffs are really aimed at a very specific kind of like fire weather scenario, which is dry, fast winds, like the conditions that fueled the campfire, the 2017 wine country fires, you know, these wind-driven catastrophes, right? The enhanced power line safety settings that are at issue now, that is aimed at like preventing fires that start on days when it's not super windy. So they're not doing a power, uh, fire safety power shutoff in a certain area. It is specifically in response to what may have caused the Dixie fire. The Dixie fire started, as far as I know, on a day that was not like extremely windy, right? That is, so it's not a, it hasn't really been a wind driven wildfire so much as it's been a fuel driven wildfire, which is to say that the growth in that wildfire has been caused mostly by the fact that there's just so much dry, tinder dry, drought stress trees and brush out there, right? And it looks like the Dixie Fire probably started when a tree, a green tree, fell on a PG&E power line in the Feather River Canyon. So they're trying to stop that from happening again. Let's back it up just a little bit. I mean, why are we still talking about PG&E and wildfires? Why haven't they been able to get on top of this over the course of several years? And what's at stake for them and for us as customers of PG&E as they try to sort it out? I mean, that is the question. So much is at stake, first of all. I mean, PG&E has been responsible for some of the worst wildfires that California has ever seen. The 2018 campfire being the worst of all, of course. It was the deadliest wildfire in state history and the most destructive one as measured by the number of buildings, of homes and businesses and such that were destroyed. So, you know, the stakes are that things like that could continue to happen again as if PG&E can't get its act together. I mean, the, this company has caused major wildfires in 2015, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and potentially with the Dixie Fire, 2021. The Dixie Fire is the second largest wildfire in state history. So PG&E power lines are a major culprit that have been driving some of these horrible wildfires that California has been seeing. So that's what's at stake is, you know, that nightmare persisting. Um, Why are we still talking about it? Because it's such a massive problem that has accumulated over the course of decades. The state of PG&E's, you know, huge grid, which spans 70,000 miles, sorry, 70,000 square miles um, from uh, Bakersfield to Eureka, basically, that, you know, the, the state of that system 
it didn't deteriorate overnight, right? It's a problem that built up over a long time, over many, many years. So it's not something that can be fixed overnight either. And they're working on that, you know, clearly they're now thinking systemically, right? So the new CEO, Patty Poppy, who started just this year, she, after it became obvious that it was, you know, probably a PG&E power line that started the Dixie Fire, she came out and said, we're going to bury 10,000 miles of power lines in high fire threat areas. All right, JD, I want to ask you more about that. But first, a quick break and a reminder about our listener survey. We want to hear what you want to hear on Fifth and Mission. The survey will take less than 10 minutes and you'll be entered to win one of three $100 gift cards. So let us know what you think at sfchronicle.com slash survey. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter J.D. Morris. We're talking about the future of PG&E after it caused some of the big wildfires of the last several years. J.D., I want to ask you about underlining PG&E lines, which is such a huge issue that that we're going to be dealing with for years. But first, I mean, people have talked about breaking up PG&E. People have talked about how PG&E cannot survive in this form. It's shown that it can't do it. What is the saddest there? Is it too big to fail? Um, are there still discussions about PG&E changing in a fundamental way? In terms of its structure, we actually have a law on the books that could do that. So when PG&E resolved its bankruptcy case last summer, kind of at the same time, California passed a law. I believe it was called the Golden State Energy Act. But what that law does is it spells out a specific process through which PG&E could be transformed into a nonprofit public benefit corporation called Golden State Energy. And that would happen if regulators at the California Public Utilities Commission decide to revoke PG&E's operating license, which is the most extreme step that they could take, but one that they might do if they decide that it's warranted. They The CPUC also has a six-step process of escalating regulatory enforcement that it created when PG&E exited bankruptcy. And there are, you know, you can imagine step one of six is sort of the least intense. Step six is the most extreme end, and that would entail oper- uh, revoking PG&E's operating license. PG&E has actually already been moved into that process of escalating regulatory enforcement. They're on step one, and that's because of their failure in 2020 to properly trim trees around their highest risk power lines. So it is possible that at some point in the future, the CPUC could decide to move PG&E into step six, revoke its operating license, and then PG&E would be transformed into Golden State Energy. All right, well, let's get into this undergrounding of lines. You talked to the new CEO of PG&E, and it it sounds like this is a big part of her plan for the future. Yes, I talked to the CEO of PG&E about her plans to do this massive undergrounding project. So Patty Poppy, the new CEO, announced that after it became obvious that it was probably or potentially a PG&E power line that sparked the 
Dixie Fire, she held a news conference in Chico and she said, we're going to bury 10,000 miles of power lines. That was remarkable because for years, PG&E has resisted calls to put more of its power lines underground to prevent wildfires because it said it was just too expensive, millions of dollars per mile. However, Poppy says that PG&E learned that it can really sharply reduce the costs when it does undergrounding on a systemic scale, which it's, which it's actually doing in Paradise. As Paradise rebuilds, PG&E is putting power lines underground, and it saw, you know, it's it's like buying something in bulk, you know, that it it, it can uh, it, it it can really bring those costs down. The bigger the bigger the undergrounding project is. Also, it's now realized that. When, when you look at that, at that lower cost, and you compare it to sort of the ongoing cost of vegetation management, which you don't have to do when you bury a power line underground, it starts to make a lot more financial sense to do that. And you get more, you, you get a lot of, um, you know, wildfire safety benefit out of that. So they're going to do it, but it, or they want to do it, but it uh, will take... A uh, very long time. They don't have a set timeline, but it'll be, I mean, years before that's done. We're still talking about billions of dollars, right? And and we as customers pay for that. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, that the details have not been set in stone. We'll find out more, I think, in February, the CEO told me. Um, February is when PG&E has to submit its next wildfire mitigation plan to the California Public Utilities Commission. So uh, until then, we're not really going to know too much more other than, you know, they have this goal of burying 10,000 miles of power lines. Um, I can say that they uh, released a request for information for firms that, you know, could help them bury power lines and they got responses. I think the CEO said they got like 25 responses to that. And they're trying to narrow the list down to like seven uh, people that they could possibly move forward with as they undertake this massive effort. They also have an advisory council on undergrounding. That's like 25 to 30 people, I think ranging from fire officials to they said like tribal leaders and such so they certain they certainly look like they're committing to this project all right so obviously customers we don't like to pay higher electric prices we we pay some of the highest prices in the nation i think we're all very aware of that but but there's also a, a secondary issue here right and if the prices get too high it it can hurt us in combating using fossil fuels the concern there is that if you make electricity more and more expensive and at the same time you're trying to electrify more things, right? Like encourage people to drive electric cars, encourage people to use electric heater, heaters, you know, uh, trying to get natural gas out of buildings so that people aren't cooking and heating their spaces with fossil fuels anymore, that if electricity is too expensive, that it could make that harder. Um, so that's something that state regulators are likely to be weighing very seriously when they look at PG&E's plans to underground. It doesn't mean that they'll block it, though. I, I, I wouldn't expect that. I think the 
Public Utilities Commission is very, I mean, of course, they, they want to reduce wildfire risk. So I, I don't think they're going to tell PG&E, no, you can't bury 10,000 miles of power lines. I, I just think they're, it's, you know, the, the cost is something that they're going to take a, a close look at and, you know, try to rein in as much as possible to prevent people from being, from paying even more for electricity than they already are. All right, J.D. Morris, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle Energy and Climate reporter J.D. Morris. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.